So far this week, we've covered the best shooters and the best shot makers in the 2023 NBA draft. In this episode with my guy, Sam Ferris, we are going to discuss the best playmakers in this class. Stay tuned. Shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. I'm your host, Rafael Barlow, the founder of NBA Draft Junkies and the director of scouting for NBA Big Board with my co-host, Sam Ferris, a.k.a. Mr. Draft Dummies. But don't be confused by the name because he is far from a dummy. Sam, how's everything going your way? Going well. Been uh, enjoying the NBA, but very excited to talk about the 2023 class today. Yeah, college basketball season starts. I think we are probably about 10 days away, give or take a few days. Is there any team that you're looking to follow closely this season? Not necessarily from a draft perspective, but just from a, a fan perspective or both. Uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of always think through a draft perspective and that's I love college basketball and I love the draft evaluation part of it um, as a foreshadowing of a guy that I'll talk about in a bit. But Arkansas, to me, is one of the teams that I'm most looking forward to seeing. It's the teams that kind of have the most prospects in Arkansas has a fun blend of really exciting freshmen plus some interesting returners. So they're one that's at the top of the list for me. Uh, Baylor would be another one. Duke, again, those are kind of three teams that I think if you're following the draft, uh, you kind of got to watch this year, and I'm excited to see those three teams, but I'm going to be watching a lot of everybody. Gotcha. All right, let's get into it. Top playmakers in this class, like I mentioned in the opening, we covered shooters, we covered shot makers, and now we're going with, with playmakers. So there may be some duplicates. There may be a few guys that... Their name has been mentioned twice this week. And then, and then there's one guy that I'm pretty sure his name was mentioned yesterday as one of the top shot makers that we'll hear today. All right. So who is your top playmaker in the 2023 NBA draft? So I got to start with the obvious one. You could put him whatever the best of category in this class. He'd probably be in a bunch of those. That's Scoot Henderson. Um, to me, I was kind of going through and thinking like he's the best point guard prospect since who? And it, it like depends if you're counting like Cade and Luca and stuff, but I, I didn't really count those guys as point guards so much. So I go back to probably John Wall and Kyrie Irving would be the guys that I'd go back to and say, to me, he's clearly the best point guard prospect since, since those guys. To me, I've got him 1B behind Wimbanyama in this class. And when we're talking about playmaking, another thing that I, I kind of thought as I went up and down the list of guys that I wanted to consider, Scoop was obvious, but there aren't, I wouldn't say passing is an overall strength within this class. There are not a lot of great passers. Um, so that's kind of a theme that I thought of as I, I went through this exercise. But to me, Scoot Henderson is the clear number one here. So there's a couple things that you said that stood out to me. Number one, um, you're saying that you, you have Scoot higher than John Morant? Um, as a, so I'm not saying right now, obviously. I'm just in terms of the what I thought of them as prospects coming into the draft. And I do think that if Scoot 
were in that draft that he would have gone ahead of Jaw. Um, and, and Jaw obviously went number two in that class, which. Um, and the only reason also, he went two is because Zion, Zion was clear. Yeah, Scoot's going to go two in this class as well. So that's a fair argument for me as prospects. I had Scoot ahead. I was a little bit more worried about the jumper uh, with Jaw, which hasn't been too big of a concern because he's one of the best, if not the best athlete in the NBA, a fantastic scorer. He's got all the tools. So it's, you know, if we're saying right now, looking forward, I'd take jaw just because we've seen him already be an all-star in the NBA, but as prospects, I would lean scoot. Crazy. Cause I remember back in 2017, people thought Lonzo ball <laughs> was yeah. a great point guard prospect and then even LaMelo. So, so yeah. you have, Scoot as well. I mean, LaMelo kind of like literally came out of nowhere. Like he had that, not saying that people didn't know who he was, but he kind of came out of nowhere as a high level NBA prospect. It wasn't until yeah. that showcase in like the preseason jamboree or whatever that they had in Australia. He kind of came out of nowhere. But if you were, so let me ask you this. Do you mm -hmm. think Scoot is a better prospect coming into the NBA than, than LaMelo? Um, yeah, I definitely think so. For me, I would clearly take him. I was a little bit lower on LaMelo, and I'm still a little bit lower in terms of his NBA projection right now, but he's exceeded what I expected. But in terms of, like, I'd say Scoot's probably better at everything other than passing and size. Um, and so I, I would take Scoot in terms of that comparison. Right now, we've seen LaMelo get off to a great start, so we already have that uh, that base that we've seen him. He already made the all-star game last year. So I don't want to sell him short, but as a prospect, I was worried about the defense. I was worried about his focus on the court. I was worried about the mechanics on the jumper. I was worried about his physicality that he played with too. And some of those are still concerns, but he's really shot the ball better than I expected in the passing and playmaking uh, to kind of bring it full circle back to playmaking the playmaking of LaMelo is fantastic and elite, even in NBA standards. Yeah, I wasn't high on LaMelo. I even went to Australia. Well, actually, I went to New Zealand to watch him play. And, and during that game, I saw I was just turned off by, like, his pregame warm-up. It was very lackadaisical. Yeah. He has beats by Dre headphones <laughs> on. And <laughs> one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made was I, I thought that Killian Hayes was a better, was a better prospect than Lamelo Ball, and then it was something else that that you had mentioned. Um, oh, so you mentioned that this class wasn't high on playmakers, right? Yeah. So even though this class is considered one of the top classes in recent memory, and you can say a lot of that could be based off of the top two, yeah. but if you look at this class, just based off of what we know today, you can say that there's not a lot of shooters in this class, and there mm -hmm. aren't a lot of playmakers. So with there not being a lot of shooters and playmakers, what makes this class so heavily touted outside of Wimbayama and Scoot Henderson, in, in your opinion? Uh, well, athleticism, you've got you've got the top two guys. And I, honestly, I'd say after the top two, it's probably an average draft, but we'll see. A lot's going to change during this college season. Um, but you've got wings. You've got guys like Dariq Whitehead, Cam Whitwar. Uh, the Thompson twins. So you've got a lot of wings there that I think project to be lottery picks. And that is enticing to NBA teams and to me as an analyst as well. Um, 
But I think it's really the top two that makes this class so intriguing and then that wing talent. Then there's a lot of like combo guards as well as you go down the line. Guys like um, Kaysen Wallace, Nick Smith, Keontae George. Uh, uh, and, and there's a number of guys. Amari Bailey I throw in there as well. Terquavion Smith. So a lot of wings, a lot of combo guards. And then the top two. Those are kind of the, the trends or, or the things that stick out to me about this draft. All right, my next question regarding Scoot as a playmaker. Mm-hmm. How much of his or how much did you boost him up on, around your your list as a playmaker based off the one game that we saw in Las Vegas? Did he show something that game that made you put him higher or was it based off of what you saw last year? No, I was very high on him based on last year because his film as a 17-year-old was as good as you'll see for a guy uh, the year before, the year that he's going enter, to enter into the draft. It That tape was as good as you'll see at that age. And so I already had him locked into my top two. I've, I've flirted with him having, with having him number one, actually. But I've moved him back to number two just because, along with everyone else, I think you have to go with the tools that Wimbanyama have. But I do think it's a real discussion. So by admitting that, I think I'm higher on Scoot and I have been even going back to last year compared to most everybody else. So what is it about his playmaking that stands out to you? I was I was definitely impressed by him last year as a 17-year-old, but then he showed me something different as far as like a passer and feel and reads, even though it was one game and you can yeah. say it was kind of like a showcase slash exhibition game, but just the pace and feel and the decision-making that he showed that game, other than getting caught up with the one-on-one with Wimbayama. I think he got a shot blocked four times the, the, the first game that they played. But other than that, I thought that the passing and the reads were impressive. So for you, what is it about his playmaking that stands out to you? Yeah, so as I was thinking about this, I kind of wrote down, like, what is my definition of playmaking? And there's a lot of different things you could include. But what I ended up writing as kind of a definition is, the ability to create advantages and then turn those into efficient scoring opportunities for yourself or others. And so what Scoot does is he wins with elite quickness, elite body control, and an elite handle. Those are three things that he does better than anybody else in this class and most anybody else in prospect history. Um, So in in the game you're talking about against Wimbanyama, we were both there. In the first half, he was scoring at will, getting to the pull-up, getting to the rim out of pick and roll. Then in the second half, um, Metropolitan started sending help a little earlier and and kind of selling out to to prevent him from scoring more so in the second half. And then you saw the playmaking. So uh, his ability to read the game, to score first, and then in the second half set up guys, I thought was really impressive. And again, he can just create advantages with his quickness, with the handle and with the body control that he has that are all elite, um, elite talents that he has. Again, there's different way, ways that guys can create advantages, but he's got those elite tools that separate him from most everybody else. I agree 100%. I'm very high on school. And it was for me, it was the first time I watched him play in the G League last year that I knew like, okay, this dude is a little bit different. He's 17. And and the way sports is today, there are guys that are 17 
that are sophomores in high school. And he's he was 17 playing against grown men. All right, when we return, I'll find out who is number two on your list as far as top playmakers. But I want to let everyone know about prize picks. Prize picks is daily fantasy made easy. And with prize picks, you can pick up to two to five players. And if they go score more or less than their prize pick projections, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. There's no competing against other people. It is just you versus the projections available. Prize picks offers projections on any sport that you watch, which includes NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, NHL, PGA, college basketball, college football, women's college basketball, soccer. I mean, I can go on. They even have esports. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It is that easy. They are safe and there are fast withdrawals. And it is currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. So download the Prize Picks apps or go to prizepicks.com to sign up today for daily fantasy sports. Again, this is daily fantasy sports made easy. And if you're a first time user, you can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, Prize Picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Prize picks will give you 50. So don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for instant deposit match up to $100. All right, shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. But for your second listen, check out Locked On Sports today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked on Sports Today, it is available wherever you get your podcast, whether it's YouTube or Odyssey, Spotify, wherever you get it. Check it out, Locked on Sports Today. Once again, this is Rafael Barlow with my co-host Sam Ferris, and we're talking about the best playmakers in this draft. Scoot Henderson was number one. Who is number two on your list as far as the top playmakers in this draft class? And by the way, you gave a great definition of playmaker, and I think that simplifies it because a lot of times people think playmaking is just passing but i think there's more levels to to being a playmaker so that was a, a pretty cool definition that you gave yeah so for number two here going from one elite athlete to another ultra elite athlete amen thompson to me is who i have at number two and as i was thinking about this i think it's kind of fun that the guy that I have one and two on the best playmakers list are both just out of this world athletes. So that's kind of a fun twist to this, but he's the guy that I have at number two. And that was a pretty clear cut top two for me. So did you see the, the overtime elite pro day? Um, I saw some clips, but I, I didn't watch the whole thing. Did you have a chance to see it? I was actually supposed to go and then I ended up staying in Dallas. My wife had a doctor's appointment that, you know, as a husband, you got to go to, yeah. but I saw the measurements and some of the athletic testing and he only had a 40 inch vert. And I'm saying yeah, only I was shocked by that because, you know, I'm saying it like that's normal, but yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I wasn't the only one that was shocked, but I, I talked about it uh, yesterday on the podcast. Isn't it incredible how his athleticism just translates on the floor? I mean, he makes it look so easy I, I, if you would have told me at a 47 inch vert i would have been like okay i believe that yeah yeah i yeah i was gonna say if, if they would have said 48 that would have been almost more believable than 40 just watching him play because some of the dunks 
that he does and not just dunks but just how he moves on the court the way he glides is just like different than anybody else and to transition that into the playmaking what i think what i've kind of written down in my notes that i think is interesting with him is he excels at the jump pass which a lot of um the uh kind of old school people frowned on the jump pass they say don't leave your feet without knowing what you're going to do but a lot of that thinking has changed we see a lot of guys that get in the air and then that opens up passing lanes for them like Tyrese Halliburton did that a ton and he still does but Nash, Amen Thompson John Wall Nash, oh tons of yeah all these guys and, and Amen Thompson because of his vertical takes that to a different level where like I was watching a game where he jumped in the air in the key spun 180 degrees and just rifled a pass out to the three point line and some of the passes that he he can make because of his athleticism plus the height at six foot seven so he's a legit wing size with that leaping ability and just the smooth on ball creation that just opens up a lot of different passing lanes because you'll get elite athletes like scoot but they're smaller or you'll get taller guys like a luca or even a Jokic. but very rarely do you get six seven guys that can dribble and pass but are also just borderline generally generally generationally elite athletes so to combine all of that in one package is really unique and that's why he's such a fun prospect i had i had a scout tell me that he would have taken a number one in the 2022 nba draft yeah would you have gone that far would you have taken a number one i would thought i would think about it but it's just the jumper where <laughs> He would be in that group with the top three guys from last year, and you'd really have to think about it based on the tool set that I talked about. It's really rare. And if the jumper does hit for him at even an average to above average rate, then I think there's a very real chance that he's better than any of the guys from last year. But I do think his ceiling might be, or his floor actually is probably a little bit lower than those three guys because if he's going to play on the ball, then I think he needs the jumper to at least be average. Because if you can go under screens, sag off of him completely, and the jumper just doesn't hit for him, that's the real worry. And so that's what's preventing me from having him in the discussion with Scoot, where I still, I know there's some people that view him on the same level as Scoot, and I understand, but I'm just a little bit concerned with the jumper right now. And not just the percentages, but... uh, the, the form isn't ideal. It's uh, it's a little herky-jerky. It's never really gone in consistently. So hopefully he can improve on that over the course of the next year leading up to the draft. Yeah, one of the things you said about the jump pass that stood out to me, and it just kind of goes against everything that we're taught as, yeah. as kids. And it's not the only thing. So think about, like, the wrong foot layup. Yeah. You know, it's kind of yeah. like, you know, when you're a kid – you're, you know, on your first layup, nine times out of 10, you probably shot it off the wrong foot and somebody corrected you. And now the way the game is as far as athleticism and you have to find different ways to create the smallest advantage, the wrong foot layup is now like something that I think every small attacking guard should have in, in their arsenal. And then even the jump pass, especially if you're you know, a good athlete. Nash wasn't like a, a great athlete, well, Nash put like um, let me say it. Nash was a great athlete. He wasn't like your explosive, you know, vertically. He just wasn't on the level of like an Amon Thompson or whatever. But he made 
him and John Wall would naturally obviously first, but made the jump pass somewhat fundamental in, in a sense. Yeah. Here's a question for you. All right, this is a little difficult question. If I'm not mistaken, Amon Thompson and Jaden Ivey are around the same age based off of the year, their draft year. If Jaden Ivey played for overtime elite as a 20-year-old, how would he look compared to what how Amon Thompson looks? Yeah. You bring up a really good point, which I didn't mention earlier, is the age with them, which they're he's like a year older than Scoot Henderson. So like you said, yeah, like if we were to see other guys play in the overtime elite, so that's another interesting variable that's hard for me to assess is the overtime elite, uh, because we haven't seen many guys successfully go that route yet. And well, there are certainly important or like interesting moments in the film and the highlights really pop for them. Like if you just watch the entire game, you, you kind of get the feeling, like you said, that other guys could put up numbers like they do. Granted, they don't have the highlights that a guy like Amen Thompson has, but I also don't think Amen Thompson is a natural scorer either. He's certainly more... Uh, he prefers to defer and set up other guys. And so like, yeah, if you put Jaden Ivey in there, I think he'd score more points than Amen Thompson would. And he'd probably put up a similar, if not better stat line, to be honest. And so that's kind of what I'm, I'm grappling is all the variables. It's the age, it's the overtime elite, it's the jump shot that's a question mark. And all those things, even though the ceiling for him is just so incredible, as an on-ball creator, that's why I can't, get to having him in that tier one with the other two guys. Yeah. That's, that's the thing about what makes this, this profession fun is that you have to consider all of the variables and predict, like, do you think the jumper is going to translate? Cause the shot doesn't look broken, right? No. It doesn't look like it needs a lot of work. I've been watching a ton of film on guys and, and there's there's a guy that I like. Not saying that he's on this level by by any means, but um, Kadari Richmond at yeah. Seton Hall, I like him a lot. But his jump shot is kind of funky looking. Same with Andre Jackson, it's kind of funky yeah. looking. <laughs> but theirs goes in more than I'm, I'm in Thompson. So, all right, when we return, we'll find out who is number three on Sam's list. Stay tuned. All right, there's a local ad there. All right, last segment, Rafael Barlow with Sam Ferris. We're covering the top playmakers in the 2023 NBA draft. I mean, we've been having such good dialogue and conversation that we've really only covered two guys. Who is number three on your list? So I debated bef- between a few different guys. I thought about Nick Smith and Keontae George, but I, I, I kind of wanted to stay away from scoring and focus more on the playmaking aspect. So I went a little bit further down the list, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Uh, Anthony Black out of Arkansas is the guy that I wrote down. I thought he'd be interesting to discuss because he he's a he's that same wing size at like six foot seven, six foot eight. In a way, reminds me quite a bit of Dyson Daniels from last year. In that similar size, not a natural scorer, can play on the ball or off it. Uh, really promising defensively because of the size and also the feel that they have. So if you kind of like Dyson Daniels last year, I think you would really like Anthony Black this year. 
and I've heard based on like some scrimmages that have been happening at, at Arkansas that he's looked really good. And that that team that I mentioned at the top, I'm really excited to see with Nick Smith, with Jordan Walsh, with Anthony Black, how those minutes are going to be divided. I do think Nick Smith is clearly the best of those three, but I thought Anthony Black would be a little bit more interesting to discuss. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? Do you view him as kind of a lottery pick? Like, there's a lot of people that have him that high. Um, can you get that high at this point on him? And how do you see him fitting into that hierarchy at Arkansas this year? That's that's the question that I am asking myself. Is I and I mentioned it in a previous podcast. If Arkansas goes 31 and five, I don't think it would shock me if they have too much talent and they can't put all the pieces together that wouldn't be surprising to me either Anthony Black is someone that I'm kind of torn on in a sense he's like a very unique prospect to me simply because all right when let, let's talk about the positives right of course he has the the size like you said it, it may remind some of Dyson Daniels um advanced court vision he's a connector has good feel um but then there are some things that like about him that I can't figure out. Like on one hand, I say right, he doesn't have like this blow by speed. He's not like this really good athlete. And then you saw the highlight where he like jumped over somebody <laughs> and, and caught a lob. And then even when you watch him play, like you watch his film, he gets a fair share of in-game dunks for someone that you don't consider like to be a really good athlete. Like there are guys that I've seen that, you know, they're the burst and speed kind of pops out to you, but they don't really get dunks. Not saying that dunks is like the, you know, the, the perfect example of the test athleticism, mm -hmm. but he finds ways to, to get dunks, whether it's catching lobs, transition. He has like these long strides to the rim. He understands how to use his body. I had a chance to watch him play like pickup this summer and, um, he wasn't really like super impressive in that game. It was a game that featured like Jan Montero play. Drew Timmy was playing. Um, trying to think a few other guys. Hugo Besson, who was drafted by the Bucks, or he's drafted by the Pacers, but the Bucks have his rights. And Black was more so playing like a four in, in these mm -hmm. pickup games. So he's like very, very interesting to me. Um, just because he could be like this connector role. But then, like, the shooting is a concern to me, even though he's kind of streaky. So if the shooting is a concern and Nick Smith is a better shooter, is Anthony Black going to be the primary ball handler and Nick Smith plays off the ball? So that's, like, one of my questions. And then I just wonder, like, is he going to be one of these guys that's too passive, right? Is he going to have a bunch of games where he has six points, eight points, and doesn't take enough shots? He could be Dyson Daniels, uh, or he could end up being like Lonzo Ball. Lonzo shot 40% from three at UCLA and, and was like this connector, and he yeah. ended up being the number two pick because he just passed the ball ahead and he caught some backdoor lobs. I don't know. Like, I'm... Yeah. I'm torn. Like when I come out, I'm, I'm coming out with a draft guide soon and I'm, I'm ranking the guys. It's not going to be a, your typical big board. I'm just ranking the guys based off of what I think could be lottery picks, first round picks, second round picks. Then it'll be like Portsmouth G League guys. So I will say this. He will be in that lottery, potential lottery pick range. Yeah. I just don't know 
I just I just don't have a really good feel on him and his role based off of you know that the team that's going to be around him. Yeah, those are all really good points. I'm most interested to see how the ball handling for Arkansas is distributed and I tend to think that Nick Smith is going to be the main on-ball guy and that yeah, you're going to see Anthony Black be more of kind of like a connector on the wing, but then if he's playing off the ball, you hit on it. My main concern is a little bit of the hesitancy where he'll pass up open shots, and that's kind of what has me a little bit concerned is just the low volume and the low willingness to just trigger from deep that I don't see him being like a an above-average shooter necessarily long-term. So again, the projection to me is pretty similar to Dyson Daniels, and I'm interested to see just how he does in that role at Arkansas because if he does really pop on the ball then that's what makes him more exciting but I, I just am a little bit lower on that and so in the end I would say I definitely do prefer Nick Smith as a playmaker I just thought Anthony Black would be interesting to discuss and to get your thoughts on but sounds like we're both kind of uh, in a similar range when I did my first preliminary board I had him just outside of the lottery looking in kind of in the 15 16 range um, but that'll definitely change depending on what I see from him this year at Arkansas yeah it, it's going to be very interesting because I think if you ask different people who is the better playmaker of the two I think people may lean towards black but yeah. then you're going to be in a situation where if you lean towards black as the better playmaker of the two, but if you ask who's going to be the, the primary ball handler, then it's going to be Nick Smith. And usually you want your better playmaker to be the primary ball handler. So, yeah. and then also I think, well, on one hand, he's used to playing with talented guys at Duncanville, even though he, Duncanville high school, he only went there last year. And then, you know, he was in and out of the lineup. Uh, so I think that he does understand how to play with talented teams and play winning basketball, but this Arkansas team is so loaded that I wonder, is he going to be too passive? Like you talked about, is yeah. he going to have games where he's taking four shots? Is he going to have like 4.7 rebounds and five assists on 40% shooting? Yeah. <laughs> and if he does that, where do you rank him? Yeah, the, the whole thing's interesting with Arkansas because I like Ricky Council. I like Trayvon Brazil. Like, they have six or seven guys that I think deserve to play. And, like, Nick Smith, Ricky Council, Anthony Black, Jordan Walsh, I think are all NBA prospects potentially this year. And then Trayvon Brazil is a fun sleeper, is a big as well. And, and, what usually happens in Arkansas is they start with playing a lot of guys. And then by the end of the year, Musselman's only playing like seven guys in the tournament. And so I'll be interested to see how that shakes out. And that's why I said at the top, I think Arkansas is, if I had to list the teams, Arkansas is number one for me in terms of who I'm following and most excited to see. Yeah. I wanted to go to their pro day. It just happened to fall on the same week as the the whole Wimbayama scoop showcase so yeah. I, I didn't get a chance to go I actually heard some insider information I don't know how true it is but I, I definitely heard that um that uh Musselman was a little upset that <laughs> that the turnout wasn't no but I, I heard that 29 teams came mm -hmm. but I, I hear that he, there's one team that he was 
very upset about that decided not not to come and i won't mention the team name but this is all what i heard i don't know how how accurate it is but i i, I did hear that he felt like i mean every team was represented that he should have had more representation there because he has more potential lottery picks than he felt like that was in this particular game was there anyone else that that um you had that did not make the that we haven't talked about yet today so I don't know that we have time to get into him, but I wanted to mention just as a sleeper, another freshman is Sky Clark, who's going to play to Illinois this year. Out of Montverde, he suffered an injury during high school that I think kind of lowered his recruiting ranking a little, but I've heard good things about how he's looked. And I think he's going to start for an Illinois team that's like borderline top 15 heading into the year. A guy that can shoot it, can dribble and pass. Just a really good player that I think might be a little undervalued. So just a guy to keep an eye on that could potentially be kind of a sleeper one and done, but I think is an NBA prospect at some point. And I'm excited to see him again. Could very well start for Illinois as a freshman. So I have one. He's my favorite playmaker in this class. I don't know if he's an NBA or first round prospect this year, but have you had a chance to watch Taron Armstrong from Cal Baptist? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, there was like a lot of steam and talk about him last year, and then it kind of died off a little. Um, Do you think he's going to be an NBA prospect this year? Yeah, I mean, he has, you know, the tools. I mean, he has an elite skill set. It's just the shooting. I think he only shot like 30% from three. If I'm not mistaken, the, the splits were like 39, 30, something like that. Wasn't great. But he's he reminds me of of one of these guys that just his value probably doesn't always stand out on on paper. And there's another guy that's similar to him. I don't know if you had a chance to watch him, but Juan Nunez that uh, played in, in Spain last year. I think he's playing for, I think he's in Germany this year for Ohm. Um, he's a another one of these just crafty, uber confident passers that makes plays from or, or just delivers passes from weird angles doesn't always put up the best stat line but just knows how to run a team and, and get guys involved and has the the flash and flair that makes him exciting to watch but yeah those two guys I don't know about them being in a draft this year or or how they'll rank but those are like my favorite playmakers all right. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. We just covered the, some of the top playmakers in this draft. And thank you for making the Locked on NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. For your next listen, check out Locked, Locked on Sports Today podcast. It's the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. It is available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am Rafael Barlow with my co-host, Sam Ferris. And we are out.